0: Eight, seven, six, five, four, three,
1: two, one. Hey, it's the ninety-first episode of the Op Cast. I am Steve Cuff. Joining me, we've got Jack Eason. Hey, Steve. You know, I mean, what is this like? It 50 minutes to get your computer up and running. Do you have like a gateway from
2: 2002? Uh, close enough. It's this this is like a 7-year-old laptop and it was not an expensive laptop 7 years ago. So, <laughs> it's it's got some it's got That's some just... special little quirks we like to call it in the business.
3: You know they yeah, still Jack, sell those, Jack. You can you can go to the store and buy one.
2: So, I can buy a 7 or a 10-year-old laptop. <laughs> well, I,
3: I might. Adv- you probably could, but I might advise a, you know, a more recent model, personally.
2: Are you, Are you aware that money is a thing? I hear I'm getting something. Hey, listen, buddy. use it for that. Yeah, <laughs> you
1: should govern money by a laptop. My dad's got That's... cancer, and he bought a laptop like a month ago. So if he could do it, you can. <laughs> Jack. Normally, at this point in time, I would make fun of you for being Irish, but. Today I had some uh some McVitie's digestive cookies which were pretty good. So uh shout out to Ireland for producing those.
3: What Kind of name is it McVitie's digestive
1: yeah Cookie. digestive uh, cookies which just means a graham cracker dipped in chocolate.
3: McVitties <laughs>
1: <laughs> McVitties, man. Yeah, it's just like a graham cracker dipped in chocolate. It's beautiful. It's great so stuff. It's like an
3: Irish cat treat.
1: <laughs> I mean they probably use it for those too it's, I wouldn't be surprised uh, Myros is also joining us How you doing Myros? Uh,
3: you know Slowly going mad but Surviving
1: uh, uh, If you were a character from The Stand Which character would you be and why would you be A, a Franny?
3: Uh, I don't know Man I think I'm more of a, a Dauber myself
1: Total Dauber <laughs> Total dauber. Uh, Sean's also here. Sean, you watched This Is England once and then decided to shave your head today. What's going on, man? Yeah. Um,
0: this is also England is what I said right before I started.
1: <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Uh, did we lose Jack already? Is he still here? I think so. I think, I okay. think we lost I don't him. hear him. He may He may have muted no, himself. I was, we lost I was him. hoping okay. he
0: didn't say anything, and then like we just went. Uh, along with it, and then
1: it was just like you
3: introduced him, <laughs> and then he never spoke. <laughs> well, I thought he was being uh, I, uncharacteristically I, I, silent.
1: Yeah, I told him my dad had cancer, and he just logged off. What a dick. <laughs> uh, oh, well, well, you know, maybe we'll try and get him back. I who could say who I don't know who, who even knows where he is at this point, but listen. We're, we're in a new world right now. And as I sit upon my throne of skulls in this new post-apocalyptic land that we live in, I can't help but ask myself, gentlemen, how did we get here? And the answer is simple. As the total number of COVID-19 cases has continued to rise, so too did the recommendations. They're everywhere. Have you watched Contagion yet? Mm-hmm. What about Outbreak? Sean, have you watched Outbreak? What about that guy from work who says, hello, it's me, the guy from work, who has based his entire personality around liking zombie movies. Can I tell you about a zombie movie I like? Uh, I haven't. Simps. I, I, plebs.
0: I haven't um, done those, but uh, you know, I feel like I probably will get to Contagion at some point more just because the seating is extremely high right now. And um, yeah. and I haven't seen it since the theater and I don't remember very much. But um, mm. I uh, I remember I don't remember much about Outbreak but I like and that probably came out when I was probably like I don't know under 10. But I will never forget like that theater scene. Like as cliche and whatever like overwrought as that sounds like the theater coughing thing where it shows the the, the the virus spreading
3: um, it was very impressionable mm-hmm. yeah yeah I'd agree I, I found it to be a very compelling film when I was like 10 years old but I'm gonna guess it's probably terrible if you went back and watched it now
1: yeah, yeah, I, I've heard I just okay. remember uh, my, my only experience with Outbreak was my biology teacher in the 10th grade got sick uh, like really sick and so we had a substitute teacher and he just put out an outbreak for like three days And then we didn't do anything for the last two days Pretty great <laughs> So uh, yeah, fond memories for me as well But listen, I mean, we, we're basically here Because we are here to help the people of the world Through the, the, the recommendation avalanche, if you will uh, So, you know, just if you're listening right now Let us, the, the humble, the noble, the incredibly handsome podcasters Let us shoulder the burden of sorting through the COVID canon That's what we're here to do for mm-hmm. you Mm-hmm. That's right. We're kind of we're kind of the first responders, really, of this whole thing. Is that a good way to describe <laughs> yeah. it? First podcasters. In a lot of ways. Yeah, the first podcast responders. You say it in the same rhythm. Yeah, same people. rhythm.
3: Well, I I mean, we do have an advantage over uh, most uh, podcasts in that our audio already is remote and sounds like shit. So, uh, you know, we got to leg up on the whole thing.
1: There's officially no difference between us and Joe Rogan right now. None. <laughs> Zero. Uh, I, I do DMT three times a day, so that's, that's been that's cool weird. for me. Got more time for that. I used to
0: do Fear Factor.
1: Yeah. I, I actually, I, I'm, I'm vaping right now with a tarantula on my face. And I,
3: and I endorse Bernie Sanders, so I, I guess we got all the bases yeah. covered.
1: Yeah, everything. There's, there's no difference. Zero difference. Sean shaved his head. Another one. Did, did he do that? Perfect. I think he's just bald, but what, I mean, what's the difference? <laughs> Shaving your head is just bald as a choice, <laughs> as opposed to like a genetic disposition. Uh, well, okay, so for this episode, we figured we'd just... We tried to pick out some movies that are thematically relevant to this this whole, you know contagion everything, all these things people are telling you to watch. We figured, let's get some stuff that's... It's about isolation. It's about end-of-the-world bullshit. But let's try and talk about some things that maybe everyone else isn't talking about right now, possibly. Um, And the first one we picked... I I don't even know if it falls into that category, but for me, selfishly, I kind of wanted to rewatch it because this is a movie that has stuck in my head for a long time, mostly because when I first saw it, it really rubbed me the wrong way. And... I know Myros was a big fan of it, so I spent a good portion of, I don't know, the the five or so years that we lived together just mocking him incessantly for liking it. Uh, Signs, M. Night Shyamalan signs. So it's kind of the ultimate, like, what the fuck do you do if there's a global disaster and you're sort of isolated away from everything with your family? And to this movie's credit, this kind of setup I've seen it a million times in other horror movies. And usually it's just a setup for dad goes crazy and like takes an ax to his kid's head. Uh, but this is especially for the first, at least half, if not more so, it's a pretty compelling, tense family drama about grief and loss. Yeah. It's which I was not expecting.
0: Yeah. It's, um, and just on a technical level. It's just like very, uh, it's very well made like the way that he he moves the camera, but also the way that he centers on people and cuts between people in conversations he just has a has a knack or at least had a knack um, of really drawing drama out of uh, conversation and reactions and obviously Mel Gibson was great uh casting choice but um yeah he, he's his technician skills his technical skills here are, are really uh impressive and that's something that i i wouldn't have i don't remember picking up on but obviously responded to the same way a lot of people respond to spielberg which is who he was sort of like primed by the critics as being you know the the, the uh the next spielberg um but you know he's yeah he, the next spielberg the next hitchcock yeah he definitely had that same you know Sensibility, you know, obviously he's not Spielberg, but, um, you know, with the same way that people respond to Spielberg uh, in such a visceral way, especially kids, because he's just like this technician, uh, I think definitely, like, Sign seems like to me, I haven't seen the most recent one, but Sign seems like the one that is really has it together. And then also you have like this awesome performance,
1: uh, which helps. Yeah. Uh, You're okay with not seeing the most
3: recent one, it's real bad.
1: What is what even is his latest Split? movie? Glass. Oh, glass. Yeah, oh yeah, glass, yeah, glass. That's right. People like it. Yeah, I yeah. I Well, then he had his movie about the the kids who stay with the creepy old people. That was, fine. That was a fun. One. That was his comeback. Uh, whatever. Sa- so what about Satan in the elevator?
0: He only produced it. He didn't that. direct hate when that happens. He only produced
1: it. Oh, he just wrote it. Oh, okay. Oh. Close enough, close enough. But I, I just, I'm glad that he, M. Night Shyamalan was, he kind of had his big hits in the early 2000s because <laughs> could you imagine if M. Night Shyamalan, like his career took off a decade after when it did? can you imagine M. Night Shyamalan dealing with Twitter at <laughs> Yeah. i don't think it would go too well for him, just the fact that like people are just blowing gas into him like oh, you're the next Spielberg, you have all this to live up to and then how do you how do you ever live up to that? And the answer is you really don't if someone says you 're the next Hitchcock or the next Spielberg, that 's the kiss of death and for me, after rewatching this and kind of thinking about his other films that i've seen recently and some not so recently, he's really more of the next Toby Hooper in my mind where <laughs> he's got clearly he's got all this this technical skill and he could be a compelling storyteller but at the end of the day he's going to do whatever the fuck he wants to do and also he doesn't take kindly to producers or critics or anyone else who says maybe you shouldn't do that and this is kind of his this is his probably his poltergeist I guess in a in a way where he he really steps into his own and creates a movie that's maybe not quite family friendly, but this is the kind of thing that you you could watch this with kids. It's not like gory or anything. Um, but then after this, it just it's almost like all of the critics got into his head, and then he became the M Night Shyamalan that everyone decried for a solid decade when he started making shit like Lady in the Water. So, like, I never saw that one again. Everybody coming back to this, it's, it's interesting.
0: Never saw that or
2: the yeah. thing. <laughs> <story. laughs> Yeah, I think it's it's weird um, to me watching this again because this is a film I remember really, really loving when I saw it first. I re I really loved it. And I felt it was this, I was incredibly engrossed and involved in this film up until literally the last ten minutes, and then it just falls apart. And I hated the film for the way it resolved itself. And watching it again, I kind of it did, didn't bother me as much. The ending is definitely bad, but I think. I can appreciate kind of knowing that's going to happen. I can appreciate more what's going on. Why do you, you think know, it's... Of, I think there's... Why do, you, why do you... Why do I think it's bad? bad? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's kind of one of those things where there's just certain plot elements within it that I think just don't make a huge amount of sense. I mean, there, there's just a bunch of continuity things. I mean, it's it's got its War of the Worlds... Uh, uh, whatever um you know water kills the aliens who have decided the super intelligent aliens that attack we've got uh, an alien who can jump onto the roof of a house but can't kick down a pantry door mm-hmm. there's just there's certain goofy elements like that and then just the whole conception like I, I suppose i i don't dislike the idea of this conception that you know your your perspective shapes your world and that Mel Gibson starts to re you know, kind of starts to take everything as a sign, effectively, that everything fits together when of course, you know, it may or may not be, but it restores his faith. I just don't think the film delivers that to me. And I, I could see other people liking it more, but I just I really don't like the, the resolution. Primarily I think because it just sort of falls into a couple of kind of goofy, lazy to me plot machinations. Um, but the thing I was going to say that I think I think is interesting is that um, a lot of what M. Night Shyamalan would later be kind of crucified for his kind of his earnestness, his kind of self-indulgence. There's a little bit of it on display here, down, up to including casting himself again in kind of a speaking role. Like Alfred Hitchcock was in all his movies, but he never said a word. He was, you know, blinking you'll miss it. Whereas Shyamalan is there like spouting lines and playing pivotal roles in his films, like locking aliens in a pantry. Um and it's just sort of, there's, but there's this earnestness within the film too, in like the TV segments. I mean, there's these TV interludes in the film that deliver critical information about the outside world because everyone's locked indoors. And they're completely unlike what TV was like, even in 2002. I mean, they have cable, like they have, when the aliens first invade, they literally cut to some crackpot, like, alien expert who delivers this very kind of on-point discussion about aliens and it's like that would never happen on cable news. Like it would just be a bunch of imbeciles <laughs> talking over each other.
0: It wouldn't and, but but uh, I i kinda liked how artificial that makes the film package
2: no, That that's kinda yeah, that that's kind of my my point. Oh, okay. like, it didn't yeah, bother yeah. me that the, these yeah. were, you know, very like kind of very self-conscious kind of interjections. But I think it, it right. works very well. Right. Um, because if, it, you're right, there is this artificiality and this closed off element to it um and that didn't bother me where I think maybe it might have bothered me when I was like much smarter sure. when I was in my twenties you know <laughs> and uh, maybe it bothered a lot of other people less much um, damage so,
0: done to your insides
2: yeah you know now that all the bad films are good and all the good films are like shitty
1: <laughs> the next yeah, so, I mean filmed them this is it's it's kind of the, t- the two sides of the M. Night Shyamalan coin, though, right? Because uh, this movie wants us to take it very seriously. But there's all these super pulpy, silly elements, too. And he's trying to indulge both simultaneously. And you have to kind of get on his wavelength with that. Yeah. And then the other part of the other part of this, too, is this is. Kind of the beginning of a period of Shyamalan films where he he's he becomes like the king of the elevator pitch almost where he has this great idea and a great setup and solid execution and then he doesn't know where to take it and i think that's where we get at the ending like literally when they go down to the basement and, and lock themselves in there that's where the movie starts to fall apart because it's the whole thing has been written into a corner i
3: like the
0: <laughs> it, I like metaphorically the metaphorically and literally <laughs> i like the breathe part i like that I I I uh, I didn't mind that, where he's breathing with his son. I found that touching.
2: I think it's a, it's you yeah, know I think it's surprisingly touching, and I God I hate that it's sold so well by Mel Gibson for <laughs> all people. It's one of those awkward like why, why is Mel Gibson a subdued it, Mel Gibson? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's God yeah, and even and even Joaquin Phoenix is like. Subdued and normal in this film, where he's not normal ever again. In you know, in movies from later on, where he kind of did his full Marlon Brando turn. Um, but yeah, I I like. There's moments in that that conclusion even that I think are surprisingly touching and surprisingly effective. And there's some great horror touches. I mean, when Rory Culkin goes up against the great when they're in the basement, that's like a great jump scare. Yeah. Um. Like Shalman's in, gr- he, like he's in. It's control. like stolen right out of
0: just, Jurassic Park, where, where uh, what's her name is like facing you, and then the, the arm reaches out right behind.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, like Shalman's in. He's he's really working on Top Gear here, and like really, I can't think of any other. Like, I'm not a fan of Shalman's work generally, but I can't think of any other one of his films that I've seen. And there's a few big ones I've missed, admittedly. But I can't think of any other film where he is this much in control. Um, I, I, I um, and Really, just playing with everything so well.
0: I won't spoil it for you, but have you seen uh, uh, the Sixth Sense?
2: <laughs> yeah, I do need. <laughs> I do need to revisit that one. The Sixth Sense is one, and, and I feel like I always got off on the wrong foot with Shylockman because that was the first film fizz I saw, and I literally predicted the twist. Like I took that. I I didn't even predict the twist. I took the twist for granted about fifteen minutes in, and then and I knew there was supposed. I to didn't knew a it twist already. I just kind of. I was like. Yeah, I, I was just, like, watching and going, like, okay, Bruce Willis is clearly dead because he keeps interacting with people. Whoa, no
0: whoa, whoa. Some of our listeners so, might not have seen it. Uh, guys,
2: <laughs> got some breaking news. Kaiser Soze, also, you're never going to catch. It's
0: interesting, oh, no. though, uh, this isn't the Malan pod, but uh, that's just one that, like, people don't really talk about that much with his work anymore, and uh, I feel like everybody's sort of, like, had that moment and digested it but i wouldn't mind going back and watching it since i haven't seen it in probably like 25 years or something not 25 but
2: yeah 20 when did years. it come out 99 like, like you'd appreciate the technical elements more now because like i say when i watched the sixth sense i was expecting the twist and i you know i just kind of in got the twist accidentally and then the rest of the movie was sort of like i was probably waiting too much for the twist maybe right, it's very well made otherwise um but like other shot like the the happening which is just i think the village like, is well made. Enjoyable. But you know, kind of like just absurd and um, right. split. I wasn't a fan of you know, like I just, I he's just not a director I've ever really meshed with so well. But um, yeah, this one certainly is a film, and this film I feel really poisoned the 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 chalice a little bit for me because when I watched it, I was so it's so good, and then that last ten minutes really soured me on it. And probably you know, it's probably my fault a little bit, but you know, ten minutes should not undo ninety five minutes of really great work and um, but it just kind of it was something that really just pissed me off because i was so on board up until that conclusion and like i say this time not that big of an issue but uh it's still like i i don't buy into the the conclusion particularly i don't think it's a particularly yeah. moving uh, connection of all the tissue
0: i think um last word on this for me i think uh probably his best work is um the uh the buried secret of m night Shyamalan. Did you guys see this? <laughs>
2: the buried t- oh, no. Man. What is oh, that?
0: Extra thing? No, it's the sci-fi. Uh, it was a sci-fi program that came out in 2004, like when he was huge around signs, and I I caught it on TV because we had cable, and uh, I was home. Like this is when I was just home uh, most of the time by myself, and uh, it was this. Sci- you mean like now? It, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the well. Uh, it was just this sci-fi two-hour like quote-unquote documentary that played like um, like a regular sci-fi thing and uh, it was about M. Night Shyamalan's childhood friends and neighbors and like him like they go to like his childhood house and it was about like how it's haunted and it was all just like a hoax but it was played straight and uh, it was like supposed to be like a gag you know like it was none of it was revealed in the program that it was a gag but they were just like let's make this straight and then air it um and uh it was believable if you were naive (laughs) um and weren't like oh wait that's the whole shtick of this guy's work is this type of like you know pulling the rug out from under you but um
2: i mean i feel like the problem with shatterman is that like I, you know, he could go way off the rails and I wouldn't know because honestly, even at the best of times, credulity needs to be, you know, kept down.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, I, yeah. I don't know. I guess I've always kind of been a defender of this movie because at the time I saw it, I found it like, it generally scared me in a way that few films do. Yeah. And I think that I'm a sucker for that sort of horror of, that's built on a, a layer of, uh, mundane life almost you know this film really does that spielberg thing of capturing this particular sort of small-town america and making characters feel authentic in a way and layering horror on top of that is a particularly effective thing for me it's something you could see again in something like house of the devil where it's just very much sort of a everyday life that gets interrupted by horror and I, i tend to find those to be among the most effective films in the genre
0: I think i think uh in that that authenticity or whatever like i think that one of the big strengths about this movie that i kind of forgot about but i remembered it once i was watching it is how well written some of like it has nuance to the to the um screenplay that really makes it fun in in that like sort of again like that spielbergian way but like you know the way that like Mel Gibson is like, all right, we're going to make, what, like, all these dishes for you guys. Like, whoever, whatever you want, we'll make it. And that type of stuff that really kind of infuses, like, lightness to it and, like, warmth. Um, it's really good at that.
3: Yeah. And, and again, a lot of the criticism boiled down to that sort of burgeoning internet criticism of, like, again, teen idiot going, but, but Earth's atmosphere has right. water in it. It's like, well, shut the fuck up, man. This... Watch the movie and enjoy it on its own terms too. That's too. at some stage.
1: Yeah. Mm. Uh, another thing I'll say, too, in defense of Shyamalan's horror chops here is not only does he create horror out of mundane everyday life, but he's also smart enough to not show his monster every three seconds. And even it's at the for end. You to do when... that, Steve, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is i just I just got this uh this genetically modified hog out as often as I can. It's hard to contain it uh but yeah like even at the end when the alien is is in the house and it's holding the Colkin kid and stuff like that, he's smart enough to go okay well c g i circa two thousand two looks like shit, and let's keep the alien mostly in the shadows, and there's all these great shots where you're seeing the alien holding his son through like the reflection of the turned off television and just little things like that, where you can show bits and pieces of the alien, but you're not getting a full view of what it looks like.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: it's just, it's, yeah. it's smart because everything is always scarier before you actually see it. And then it's like, well, this is, you know, it's not the same. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, better than I expected. Well, I mean, sorry, the M. Night Shyamalan. Is, uh... I was too mean to you.
3: I think the biggest problem is that there was just not enough Randall Flagg uh, fucking lurking in the cornfields. there.
2: Yeah, that's uh, that's what we needed. And, and this is definitely a film in the living adjacent to a cornfield is bad genre. I mean, there's Children of the Corn, Field of Dreams, although that's not like bad, but they're still ghosts. I mean, Field of Corn. Yeah, I don't want that. Strangely threatening Americana.
0: Yeah, which this movie seems open to. Uh, unlike, um, like I always think of a quiet place as being like such a derivative movie, and not only is it derivative, it's just like sort of the opposite in its in its uh, own you know mindset because John Krasinski is such an idiot douchebag CIA agent.
2: <laughs> he he is genuinely the worst person i mean chris pratt has revealed himself to be pretty shitty but jim from the office is just next year he's,
0: he's like
1: people to judge the actor <laughs> listen chris pratt man he's how how can you disparage a man who Attends a Christian mega church where everybody <laughs> wears pleated khakis and plays acoustic guitars, and then sends their gay kids to conversion camps. Like, what? What could yes, possibly it, be wrong with that?
2: It's true because he goes up mountains and hammers crosses into the landscape. Just you know, on, in his spare time, I guess it helps. Didn't he? Didn't he do his... some
1: like? He did some like fucking Bible diet or something where he's just like, all I eat is like the fucking. Bible. <laughs> no, it's no. He, he eats. He eats like. Honey and, like, vinegar from a sponge and uh, <laughs> myrrh or
3: something. I don't fucking know.
2: Mur. I mean, or it's just just a Bible uh, Yeah. I, just, I don't just... know. He's got to maintain the Marvel bod, which means he probably also eats steroids.
1: <laughs> Dude, don't don't knock the myrrh diet till you try it. <laughs> All right. We need to move on. <laughs> All right. Yeah, we should probably move on. Well, I mean, so when you have a global disaster, what is it really? whether it's a pandemic or let's say it's lizard related, what is it about? And the answer is it's not about destruction. It's not about your, your fucking family union. Okay. It's not about that. Sorry, Mel. It's about one thing, bureaucracy, <laughs> which is what Shin Godzilla is all about. And somehow it's like a top three, maybe even number one favorite Godzilla movie that I've ever seen. It's, amazing absolutely amazing and i don't know how it's taken me so long to finally watch it but here we are so i, I can't even remember was it jack did you suggest this one or did jake suggest no, no, it this, or
2: th- this was jake's suggestion he gets full credit for this because yeah you're full, absolutely full credit. right every disaster movie needs 70 percent more bureaucracy i mean
1: the first we don't you don't even see the monster at all really i mean you see like little bits like you see his tail and stuff in the first maybe 30 minutes. But other than that, it's just old guys sitting around in a boardroom talking about what they should or shouldn't do. Yeah, and then as they start doing committees. things, yeah. Forming committees and then scheduling meetings. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and meanwhile, feeling increasingly like my
1: work from home life. Yeah. It's yeah. It's, and then
2: at the top of the screen, it's like every single person's title and position as they talk, you know, and at first you try and keep up and then you realize it doesn't really matter. I don't need no, to know none if of it. the secretary of the interior <laughs> and the deputy section chief of agriculture, or whatever.
1: And honestly, it's it's funny because it, it's so exaggerated, almost like it's it's farcical. All the bureaucracy and just the talking back and forth and the planning and the meetings and all this stuff, but then it, it also really taps into the essence of Godzilla movies, which. Go back, go grab your Criterion box set, go back and watch all your favorites. It's not the parts you remember as a kid when you were watching these on TV where it's just like, oh, Godzilla knocked down the power cable. Yeah, that's part of it. But it's it's just as much about like scientists on a shitty set just talking endlessly About what to do about Godzilla.
3: Yeah, I was going to say, boy, you guys should go back and watch Godzilla. I think you might enjoy the movies more than you thought if you really (laughs) like this
1: bureaucracy nonsense.
3: Because these movies are like a solid 75% nonsense chatter between people of authority. Did you see this one, uh, Myros? Well, I didn't watch it for this podcast because I watched uh, The Stand instead of anything else because it's six hours long uh but but i have seen it i saw it when it was newer okay. uh okay. i quite enjoyed it uh even i mean maybe i found the bureaucracy business a little more tedious as someone who has seen uh myriad godzilla films but uh really interesting stuff and the effects work is top notch and it's, it's 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 a cool movie
1: yeah i i rem- love the monster in this <laughs>
2: The Monster School, it, it reminds me a lot of, uh, like, strangely enough, because this is directed by Hideaki Anno, who's probably most famous for Evangelion anime productions. But, like, this really reminds me most of, like, Pat Labore 2, which is also, which is an anime film directed by Mamoru Oshii, and is another film that is, like, about giant battling robots, but is actually mostly about meeting schedules. Like, it's it's another, it's an animated movie, and they just animate, like, government bureaucratic Sounds like a discussions
0: Wiseman movie.
2: I mean if I think it's the closest you're gonna find from an animation standpoint. Like they literally it's it's so much just discussion of politics and city ordinance and stuff and then explosions in between. And it's just kind of strange to me that these two directors who were best known two directors who were best known for anime but have both worked in live action um, I'm just curious to what the what the draw is here. But I mean, the bureaucracy, of course, we joke about it, but I mean, it does play a role. This is a, a film that's kind of about, it's kind of unusual in that it really captures the kind of theories of disaster management, how a government has to move within a legal framework, has, has to figure out what's going on. What it needs to do, how to disseminate information, who needs to be where, all of those logistics. It might be right, it might be wrong. And then as this movie progresses, we have international politics playing a role. As of course, Godzilla gains the attention of the United States, who are much are not portrayed kindly, but are probably portrayed quite accurately here as basically being like, if we just nuke it, we'll help you rebuild later. Um and you know, various other eventually they get assistance from France, but their assistance from France is because France is far away. That they reckon they're safe for a while, so they'll buy them some time. Um, and there's just this wonderful interplay of all these things. And then, as Steve said, the action sequences, the destruction sequences, are just glorious. They're just fantastic, and you know, reminds me again like End of Evangelion, which is one of the most visually spectacular films. Um, but yeah, I, I was, I didn't know what to expect going into this. And as the meetings progressed, I was like, "Why is this good?" But it, it is. <laughs> yeah
1: that's that's a good way of putting it and god the like all the the effects that they use to actually do the godzilla monster like this isn't this isn't contemporary like cgi wizardry bullshit it i mean it is but in a different way like it's it's kind of goofy cheap cgi but they put this effect over it where it they try to make it look like the fake rubber suit godzilla of the old movies but they do it with this like weird slimy looking computer effect, and it just it, it is, just elevates everything. It's visually is like perfect for the tone of the it movie. Is,
2: it is weird. It is weird that Godzilla, like CG Godzilla, still is like the huge thick thighs of like um, of a creature that has a man stuffed inside it. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, I think they yeah, they I, pull I, off something with that. Uh, Evol- uh yeah evolving uh, Godzilla it's just an interesting idea that really works visually and all the destruction stuff it's it's probably the most like tangible and visceral Godzilla movie I've seen since like Godzilla 1984 perhaps which is when they really try to turn the series into more of a more of a mainstream sort of sci-fi horror franchise and it does something similar but this this feels grounded in reality in a way that even the the big American movies don't manage.
1: completely i and well and just thinking about the last two american godzilla movies which i i didn't enjoy but they weren't the worst thing in the world and then seeing this is just like oh my god like i i, I don't think i could ever watch the american remakes again so
2: it's it's, it's so it's difficult amazing yeah, it's it's really I mean, an American Godzilla is kind of a stupid idea to begin with, but of course Hollywood wants in on a on a successful franchise because I mean, it's really what what really charges this is we have Godzilla as a kind of a an emblem as like this towering mammoth of like fate coming on shore and that mankind has to deal with and it's an an atomic fate, it's a nuclear fate. Like he's specifically at some point they determine that. Godzilla is literally nuclear powered. Um, But, you know, in Japan that obviously has a very specific resonance as a country that's been bombed with nuclear weaponry when America makes the film, they're the guys who dropped the bombs. Um, I mean there would be a poetry. I, there, there would be a poetry to Godzilla smashing America, but not in America resisting the smashing in a sense. Um, you know, so I, I think and I think Shin Godzilla ca- captures very well that idea of because a big discussion within the film is the is militarization and and you know reenergizing a military force, which is a real. Talking point in Japan because post World War Two Japan kind of didn't do that, and under American uh, authority, etc. And Japan has remained very passive, considering their their kind of economic standing militarily. So there's this that discussion in there, and this creature, this nuclear creature, and how to respond and to respond aggressively with military versus uh, as they do eventually with technical know-how is kind of an interesting profile of of a post-war development of Japan itself um you know and these are just things that i i am not saying it couldn't be done but i you know the other american like american godzilla movies they have no interest in doing that they're just like big creature go smash and that's oh section. sure
1: and this this would i was thinking about that when i was watching this like if you were to do just a, a shot for shot remake of shin godzilla but do it with american actors it would never work there's all these scenes in the beginning especially where they're concerned about not only taking military action, but also, all right, now that we've we've crossed that line and we're, we're taking military action, how do we avoid civilian casualties? And there's this great scene in the beginning where they have these like Apache helicopters that are ready to start shooting Godzilla, and they don't, they call it off because there's they notice that there's like two civilians just walking on the street or something like that. And all I could think was, if this is an American movie, not only would they still shoot Godzilla, but they would make it a point to like shoot the child in the head first so
2: not, none Ooh, of like this would work kill that many people every day who cares <laughs>
1: yeah it's no big deal this is a little collateral damage where this is just like collateral damage oh no what are we gonna do we fucking love collateral damage in america that's totally our shit we're super into it so yeah it's it's an outstanding movie and even I, if you're, if you're, if, you're was... if you're not into godzilla like this is something that i think anybody could get a kick out of
2: Yeah I do think there was a great pun in the film actually because the Japanese response militarily they have all their ideas of you know placement of troops and everything and then the American bombing plan shows up and it's just like this huge grid of red spots like they're just gonna bomb the shit out of everything. (laughs) I just thought that was like a really good probably purposeful mean spirited attack on American militarism. It's like we're just gonna carpet bomb the whole fucking place and that will probably do it.
1: Yeah, why not? Sure. It'll work. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I I mean, if if you're listening right now and you you somehow have missed this movie, you're doing yourself a disservice. I certainly did myself a disservice for waiting this long to watch it. Uh go go get it now. In fact, why don't you buy it from uh buy it from the internet. Go don't go outside. Don't go outside right now, but buy it from the internet because uh I could tell you if you obtain this through various other means um the subtitles available for maybe not so legitimate copies of this movie are less than great. I'll just kind of leave it at that, but uh, still an awesome movie. So, all right, boys, let's, uh, let's kind of, let's gotta change the tone here a little bit. We've got Sean's pick for disaster films, and this is kind of a throwback to the, uh, the Kurosawa podcast that we did. And, not yeah, not not the Akira, the the other guy, Kaoshi Kurosawa, and it kind of asked the question: When the world goes to shit, what's it like? And as far as I could tell, it's pretty fucking boring. Um, <laughs> I really, I really struggled with this because this is a director that I like, and stylistically, I think it's impressive. There's some cool stuff going on. Um, I remained laser focused throughout this, and I could not make heads or tails of it. And the only thing I could think of is when film bros or my dad or anyone's dad or your, your drunk uncle after like seven beers at Thanksgiving, when you're trying to talk to him about movies, uh, then he's like, that sounds like a, a shitty art film. This, this is what like idiots think all international art house cinema is.
2: <laughs> it's just like
1: slow and impenetrable. There's literally a scene. Yeah, no discernible plot. And also, like, thematically, it feels really muddled to me. It it was just, like, these weird, vaguely connected scenes. And there is, I swear to fucking God, there is a scene in this movie where they paint a wall and then they're sitting around while the paint is drying. It's like a metaphor for the entire thing.
0: (laughs) I uh, started watching it the first time and... It was one of those things where I knew it was going to be multiple sittings, but then I never went back to it. And then I put it on (laughs) again, like, a while, like, you know, a month or two later and just, like, found myself, like, just uh, not even looking at the screen for a couple minutes and then being like, wait, what did I – like, just being lost in the movie kind of thing and just being Mm sidetracked because it just kind of offers that. Like, so this time I knew, like, what I was – up against, and so I was like, okay, okay, I'm not gonna look at anything else. Like, uh, I, I know that this, you know, it's it doesn't take kindly to just like a wandering eye, because otherwise you're just gonna, you're not gonna want to come back to it, because, you know, I don't know, it feels like there's no point. Um mm-hmm. But
1: uh well, it's it's one of those movies too where, and my my tolerance for this kind of stuff is, it's it's really gone down in the past few years. But it's it's the kind of movie where. Nothing happens, and it's a bunch of disaffected young people sitting around because nothing's happening. And the point is, is that nothing happens. It takes
0: forty-five okay. minutes in an in this like ninety-minute movie for like the plot to be apparent, and like you have to kind of like read up on the plot synopsis beforehand to know what that is. But um, but yeah,
2: I I literally checked the plot synopsis about a half hour in i just like it's like just curious you know what's the detail in this i just pull up the imdb and i, I like looked at this film pretty well i like i watched it in one sitting it wasn't yeah. a huge problem to me but i checked the imdb and just saw the plot summary and it was about like pollen effect yeah. i'm like fuck am i watching the right because <laughs> <movie?" laughs> <'cause laughs> none of that's happened right
1: no there's very little pollen in this movie
2: it shows up a little later. If I'd just waited another fifteen-ish minutes, it would have come in. So I like scanned a review on the IMDb and found mention of a musician who fades at one point. I'm like, okay, no, it's the right movie. I'm not, yeah. you know, it's um, I, I, so it's
0: much more ethereal than the like other ten or so Kurosawa movies that I've seen. And um, it's I, I don't dislike it by any means, but it, it's definitely. Something that that you should know what you're getting into, kind of thing. Um, if you're at, at all prone to not uh, w- watching, you know, just regular, I guess, art house fare. But um, it, yeah, it seems to end up being a movie about isolation and boredom. And uh, but there's just like these little bits of like anarchy thrown in, and it's kind of like trying to piece that together is a little hard on on one viewing.
2: Yeah. I think it's definitely a film. Like for me, um, it's certainly by no means my favorite Kurosawa film, but I, like Sean, I d- also I didn't dislike it, but I certainly felt lost within it yeah. because there's not there's nothing to really grab onto, and I kind of sent out feelers on Twitter after watching it, like you know, hey, does anyone know you know some writing on this because it's not really a film I've ever seen anyone bring up, um, and someone mentioned that it was. Um, uh, a college project. I know Kiyoshi Kurosawa teaches college yeah. theory, and he's he's you know kind of part of a school of Japanese critics, just like Shinji Aoyama, who is stars in the film, um, who you know are kind of all worked together and have kind of gone up through college under the same critical theory, under the same I can't recall his name, but the same critic, uh, kind of uh, a kind of pioneer in G- in Japanese cinema, and they all kind of learned under him and then started making films of their own. Um, and it does make sense. Almost all of the film, if you look at the cast and the guy in DB, they have like everyone in this film has like one acting credit and one technical credit, and they're both for this film. So <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure it's like it's staffed entirely by a film school class, which is interesting in and of itself. Um, but I kind of found when I was watching it that I just had to refer back to other Kurosawa films. So this feels like sort of a... Um,
0: well, it's a Y2K kind of like movie, a, which is similar to...
2: It certainly, pulse
0: in a way to,
2: yeah I mean it certainly has the urban alienation of pulse it has kind of nature as an adversary which charisma you know which is it with its up mm. literally apocalyptic mm-hmm. tree um, has which is very difficult to explain if you've seen the film and slightly only slightly less difficult to explain if you have seen the film. Um, and it has, you know, kind of, there's, there's familial social relationships in it, which kind of remind me of things like Tokyo Twilight or Tokyo Sonata, rather. These kind of, um, you know, kind of like concerns about it, it, different relationships and romance and it kind of, there's this, uh sexlessness in it. And then it contrasts from these films as well. And that, I mean, something I, I, that I considered is that like a lot of Kurosawa's films, one of the a recurring theme, I think, in films like Retribution and Cure and pulse is that like there's kind of a geographic memory mm-hmm. in his films where you know normally expressed kind of supernaturally where ghosts inhabit spaces in a kind of a decaying japan decaying tokyo but then this film feels very different than that and that it feels ahistoric it feels like you have no there's it, everything seems completely isolated and disconnected and it's kind of like I don't know if I can draw that out It's like, this is a really profound, interesting thing, but it's just sort of interesting in contrast to his other films. And this this film really feels like a, as much as the online parlance has turned into a joke, it's kind of like, it's a mood. Yeah, it's yeah, not, yeah. It's not a film, it's very much like, I, I hate tone poem. It's not even a tone think... poem because it's so kind of flat almost, but it's sort of like a film that I feel like you could put on while you're drowsy right. and just sort of blend in and out of and it, it might, you know... You might, you you know, it's kind of an empty space you can explore. That's kind of, I think that's maybe the kindest way to present it to anyone. It's not, don't go in looking for anything, just be prepared to search. Just
0: wait in it. And that's kind of what I, I guess, was getting at, like by calling it ethereal. At least that's the association that I have in my mind. But uh, definitely, I think that the the 1999 timestamp of the film is definitely important um, to maybe understanding uh it's 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 sort of reasoning and and maybe point of view but i don't know if that is something like if you didn't know that it would it wouldn't be apparent you know that's something that you know you can breathe into it once you know when it took place but it doesn't it doesn't inject that into itself
2: true Yeah it's, yeah, it's not, like, technical-centered, particularly, which Y2K was. I mean, what I was surprised about, honestly, having, you know, I'm fairly familiar with Kurosawa's work, was I was watching this going, like, this is touches on some things that, like, uh Ming-Liang would touch on, and stuff like The whole and At uh, What Time Is It There, but I swear somehow this film is slower <laughs> than a Tsai film, which is, huh. uh, frankly, unheard of, practically. Um, yeah. and I wasn't expecting that.
1: Interesting. Yeah. The the closest approximation that I could think of as far as like things that I've seen in terms of matching the, how impenetrable this can be and, and the pacing and, and like you said, how it's just, it's just like a mood and there's not much outside of that. Um, There's a, a Turkish movie uh, called Uzak or distant. Oh, right. And that, that one, I, it's from a director, uh, Nuri Bilj Ceylan. I'm sure I'm saying that completely wrong. And he's got a handful of really critically acclaimed movies and this is this is one of his earlier films but it's it's the same type of thing where it's just a guy and like his his cousin comes to visit and they're both just super depressed and they just kind of sit in a room and talk about basically nothing and there's like nothing essentially happens they're just bummed out and they talk about it and the dialogue is still super sparse, and it's the same thing. It's like, oh, and the tone here is bleak, hopelessness, and that's it. That's kind of what you're working with. And th- this one, Baron Illusion, is it's that times ten. It's <laughs> it's because in addition to just being being this like kind of just sparse mood piece, yeah, there's so little that happens. It's mind-blowing but yeah yeah the, at the least at least it's interesting in a way
2: <laughs> yeah i mean the, the major centerpiece of this is literally some people kicking balloons around in a park and then s- flattening the balloons and then the guy runs around holding the like popped balloons like they're gonna float in the wind but they don't and that's like mm. probably the big set piece <laughs>
1: yeah stationary camera so <laughs> just and, yeah, watch them the- kick the balloons
2: and there's a couple of other things, like there's a marching band that show up. I don't know what that is. I saw some people, I saw a review that was kind of like commenting on that as maybe a cult, like it's the idea that everything is so culturally sterile that they were like uh, emulating Brazilian uh, samba music kind of football fans kind of stuff. I, I don't really buy that particularly, but there might be some truth to it. Uh, but, you know, there there's still elements I really, I don't i can't place i can't place them in kurosawa's work or in this film um so yeah but at the same time i feel like this is uh definitely a film like because it is is, like 96 minutes long it doesn't hang around for that long it feels maybe longer than 96 minutes but since it's reasonably compact it doesn't like really grate too much uh so i kind of feel like it's it's kind of film you could just take out when you're sort of want to watch something, but you really don't know what you want to watch and just kind of see what happens.
3: Yeah, that's fair. I don't know. It sounds to me. It sounds to me like you guys are saying, uh, it's bullshit that parasite won best picture. They should, they should all give that shit to (laughs) (laughs) America.
1: I mean, yeah, that's, that's what it really boils down to. And I, I I do have to say it is only 90 minutes long. (laughs) <laughs> it's It's only ninety minutes long, but it feels longer than the stand to me that's <laughs> if you need a, a point of comparison myros uh,
3: that's that's uh, saying something <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, listen enough about this shit. let's talk about some real art some real high fucking art. so our final movie here is uh it's this is Steve cuff film festival classic uh, I, I chose this one even though i I had never seen it. I just heard about it. I read about it at certain points. I knew of it. And somebody somebody in our Slack chat mentioned it, and then it just like turned on a light bulb, and I knew we had to do this. And this movie is from director Herman Yao. It's a uh, nice little Category 3 horror film. And Herman Yao, as you may remember, is the guy who made The Untold Story, another Category 3 horror film. And that's a movie about a person who murders some people, then goes on the lamb, and then he starts working at a restaurant decades later, and then he starts killing people again. So if that sounds familiar, it's because it's also the plot of Ebola syndrome, except Ebola syndrome says, hey, what if we did that same movie, but now there's Ebola? Sure, why not? Why not? <laughs> uh, Jack, uh, what the fuck, man? <laughs> <laughs>
2: I, I think if us could answer that, um, yeah, Ebola Syndrome is—it's um, a film I've uh, long championed, um, along with along with fellow <laughs> Hong Kong film uh, Red to Kill, uh, which if anyone wants to watch that Red to Kill quality film, these are two films that if you ever want to just like tune your barometer on just bad taste, these are two films you have to see because otherwise you are not getting a full perspective. Uh, Ebola syndrome is just an outlandishly mean spirited awful film cruel disgusting racist film um yeah i i and it, it, like watching it this time I, I i've actually i enjoyed it less this time sadly it, it didn't hold up who could imagine i remember it being more fun than it actually is somehow um and it's it's weird Anthony Wong plays the main role who was in Untold Story as well. And in Untold Story he did you know in Untold Story Anthony Wong won the like Hong Kong Oscar for best actor.
1: Are you serious?
2: Right. Yeah, yes. <laughs> that's like did. giving
1: best actor to like Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer or
2: something. Like, no, no. And and that's this is why Hong Kong cinema is amazing cuz this can happen. And Anthony Wong is a great actor and he's won many awards. And then he also shows up in Ebola syndrome, where he is just a sniveling, shitty rapist who (laughs) is convinced he's being bullied by everyone, and then just goes out and does heinous crimes, mostly against women, but also against other people, while insisting everyone else is mean to him. And that's the whole film. And and I mean, for anyone who's not aware of the plot, he gets infected with Ebola by literally raping an African woman, uh, which is pretty racist if you're if you're keeping score that's quite racist Um, and and then and the
1: people the people who have ebola in this movie they're all like just like racial caricature like african tribes people
2: Oh my god the- Af- oddly enough the african like the, the the African tribe elder has better English than anyone else in the film, which I thought was a really <laughs> funny joke <laughs> an accidental joke, but anyway, he contracts Ebola, but he is one of his as a doctor very reassuringly tells us in another scene he's one of the one in ten million people who will basically survive Ebola and become immune to it but then be a vector for it and transmit it through his spit or blood or very importantly through his semen which will become a recurring (laughs) theme in this film and it's like it's a film that I am trying to like I was really I was really trying I was like looking at this kind of interesting thing of because they actually they actually shoot in South Africa for a portion of it, which I was actually surprised they actually left Hong Kong. And it's like the so Hong Kong is a colonialist country and South Africa is a colonialist country. And Anthony Wong is actually he his father is British, and he's he and he's complained about racism he's experienced in Hong Kong by being half white. And in the film, there's a scene where his character complains about how in Africa, white people see him as black, and black people see him as white. He feels he's, you know, persecuted on both sides. There's all of these, like, details, and I'm like, please, God, can I assemble this into some kind of, like, a, a, a perspective on something? But no, it, it 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 can't be done. This film is—they no, is just awful. they
1: dangle it there just so they can <laughs> take it away from you.
2: It's, yeah, it's like it's so close. I feel like it's got it could almost maybe, but no, it's completely incidental. All of these things. This film is deeply racist. What? It's misogynist <laughs> as all hell, uh, and it's just disgusting. And I mean, we, we're underselling it food. too. <laughs> yeah, <Jack's laughs> of fruit. He jerks off into a pork cutlet <laughs> and then puts it back in the fridge. And that's like one of the lighter <laughs> yeah. moments of comedy. Uh yeah, I so I mean I know Adam was a huge fan. Adam <laughs> got anything to add. Uh,
3: yeah, I really like the idea of you trying to pull a social message from a, a film that the last ten minutes are, are just a man running <laughs> through the street uh, spitting at people yelling ebol
2: yeah <laughs> <laughs> Holding a child at knife point, (laughs) it's beautiful. Oh, and there's the in mouth footage with like this with the Ebola like on his (laughs) yellow glowing bits. He spits on
3: this. Is the by far the best portion of the movie when it's just like every time he goes to sneeze, there's like a music sting, and it's like. It's like, okay yeah now this i could deal with this is and they, do the, they do the little
1: cgi sneeze particles
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing i mean that part this i'm sorry this sounds way funnier now than it did sitting through where it's like god this is just sort of ridiculous um man maybe it was fun maybe i just wasn't drunk maybe drink with this one is that please drink yeah. I kind of think it's well, here's, easy, here's, a little bit okay. fun
3: once you get past that uh, first half hour. It's just a hill to climb. <laughs> that first half hour is fucking gross as
1: shit. Dude, they go they go hard in the paint, like, just immediately. Okay, in the first five minutes, first five minutes, this is what happens. Um, a sweaty, greasy, ponytailed man bangs his boss's wife... Gets caught in the act and then proceeds to murder two people, cut off a woman's tongue and then he gets peed on in which that's my favorite comical moment because it's not like a consistent stream it's just like a, a point of view camera from the crotch <laughs> down in his face and it looks like they just dumped a dixie cup of water on him
2: it's like the most ridiculous it, uh, that pee. one confused me because I watched it and I was like with the version I watched it was like you know this is uncut like pro- proudly proclaimed hmm. uncut edition of this film and yet that piece shot it's like could they not have made slightly more Cause she pees on him for like literally half a Second, uh, and then it just cuts yeah. away.
0: Our protagonist uh, also walked away uncut at the end of that scene.
1: Uh, <laughs> oh,
2: that's true because they were
1: gonna cut his dick off,
2: but they didn't. Yeah, and he he <laughs> said
0: it's sm- it's so small already. Uh, he didn't.
2: One of the great mysteries of this film is why was that woman having sex with him in the first place? Because he pretty much rapes every other woman that he has any contact or pays them throughout the whole film. But that woman, he was he was having sex with her on her time. And that's probably the most incredulous part of this whole film, because he's just, like Steve says, just a sweaty, sleazy, ponytailed shithead. Well, he also has the woman in the third act.
3: The woman with the daughter uh, is like his, I don't know, she wants to marry him all (laughs) of a
2: sudden. I, I was confused about that because there's no mention of him having a family when he in the first act and when he leaves and he, he goes to hide out in South Africa. There's no mention that he left a family behind, but he did, I think. I guess. Like Yeah, a, or a girlfriend does he know or something. People? Yeah, I, 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 I have not. Uh, that we
0: just skipped kind of pops over up out of nowhere. We, we skipped over uh, an important part of cinematic history. Uh, Impossible. During the um, scene when... Uh, after the peeing on the head and uh right before the the scissors or during the scissors the boss says to the to the guy uh look at me he yells it a couple times uh which obviously this had to have been um sort of in the repertoire of christopher nolan when he was making the uh second batman movie um <clears throat> <laughs>
2: Sean, did you just watch the first five minutes of this movie and then come out? <laughs> no, now, no shame if you did.
0: No, I, I watched the first half hour. Um, uh, that's I, good
1: because that's actually where most of the really terrible
0: shit the, happens. I so think cool. the last lines I heard were, uh, "I hate South Africa." <laughs>
2: This definitely doesn't do well for the tourist board of that country, um, <laughs> for, mainly because they let this film be filmed. There. It's the most damning indictment of the whole exercise. Uh, I mean, I love category three movies. They are like, generally speaking, they're just the most marvelous, um, like sleazy, pervy films that feel like they were written by a 12 year old. I mean, few and far between, there's like legitimately good films that just happen to have the category three age rating. Um, But most of them are just, they're like movies that are just so enamored with like boobs that it's like, how could an adult have possibly been responsible for this? Uh, And this (laughs) film is kind of like that. But then on top of that, there's just so many extra layers of just disgusting stuff. And and but still that childishness that I I don't know there's like a weird naivety to it that's not quite endearing but deeply confusing to me and kind of means that like this film could not have come from anywhere else like uh, America or Europe couldn't make this film
1: absolutely not well and there's there's that childishness to it but also one of the most striking things for me is normally you watch a movie like this where. i mean trauma is a lot more playful and silly with what they do but along the same lines of this is going to be gross and we're going to do things specifically to try and shock you and gross you out make you feel uncomfortable and that's the whole thrust of the movie and these movies are they usually look like absolute dog shit and are made for like three dollars this movie looks like it has a budget like it looks like a real movie (laughs) Yeah, a lot of location, and that was one of the most filming. jarring things for me. Yeah, all this yeah, location yeah, filming, after.
2: and then they have Anthony Wong, who like a real like. I mean, I just to impress on on any of our listeners that like Anthony Wong being in this is like Meryl Streep showing up in Street Trash. Like it <laughs> doesn't make any sense. It couldn't happen in America. It no. just would be impossible. And
1: mm-hmm. uh, God, it, it, it just. It it turns into like a police procedural at some point, but the end of this movie is a complete sight to behold. So not only is Anthony Wong running around, spitting on people, screaming Ebola, uh, and he's got this like child that he's using as a hostage to try to keep people away from him. But at some point he's running around and he realizes that he's been holding her by the neck the whole time and he just (laughs) killed her. And then he's like, ah, oh, shit. And he just drops her, but not in like an intentionally comical way. Like it just seems because he's he's a great actor. So it's just like genuinely like, oh, 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 <laughs> he just keeps going out his way. And then he gets lit on fire and continues to yeah. scream Ebola. And then he gets hit by a car
2: while he's lit on fire and like shot. It's an, ama- yeah, it's an amazing conclusion that the police won't shoot him because he's holding the child. But then at a certain point, they're just like get an impromptu flamethrower and just like scorch him in an alleyway. And then, yeah, like it, it like hit him with the car. And then a cop just like unloads his gun into this burning carcass. And there's all yeah. these stand passers by just stand there like who won't know he's a cop because he's in like a hazmat suit that he's got, cut- which weirdly he gets spat on by Ebola man, and his, his first reaction is after that, it's like, that's disgusting, and takes his hazmat suit off, which is <laughs> not a great plan. I know he he cuts the back of the hazmat suit, but still, you're probably better off leaving it on at that point. Um, but yeah, th- this film is just incomprehensible oh. on so many well, levels. I,
1: the, the subplot, too, with... Okay, so in the beginning, when he kills all the people and gets peed on and stuff the the P lady has a daughter and the daughter witnesses all of this. And then she's brought back into the film like 10 years later. And the whole, the whole idea is she's helping the cops because she feels like she can smell him whenever
2: she's like in the room <laughs> I love, with him. I love the, of, all the, of, of all the Chinese restaurants in all the world, she wanders into the one in South Africa that happens to house the man who killed her parents. Um, yeah it happens yeah, to the it, best of us yeah and and, and, and then, then she, yeah she literally goes to the police and reports it and she's just and they're like uh, do you have any evidence you're like no i just have a feeling and it's like no wonder the police don't do anything you can't do that but turns out so, she's right so
1: well and, and you got to wonder like how how does her how does her story finish off what is her what is her character arc and it turns out that she actually doesn't help them catch him in any meaningful way because at this point he's already rampaging through the streets screaming Ebola, and she just gets spit spit on. So we assume that she's dead. That's <laughs> that's how that's how happens, her story yeah. ends.
2: If if I had right. to sum up this film, like I mean, I guess I really like I've mentioned this film just has this weird mean spiritedness to it. On top of it being so outlandish that it's hard to take the meanness seriously. But there's one there's one sequence where when he arrives back in Hong Kong, I guess he's I think it's I think it's when he first goes back there and he pulls up in a taxi and there's a, just a dead mouse on the street. It's like a close up of the tire of the car where the tire will be and a close up of a dead mouse on the street and the taxi tire just runs over. and It's a real dead mouse. This is not a prop. They just so it's just a car tire running over a dead mouse close up. And then just the camera pans up to him getting out of the car. And it's just the most frivolously mean kind of a, a thing to include. Like, there's no, who, what's the mouse at? Nothing. It's not like anyone is a mouse in a grander game in this stupid fucking movie. Like, there's no subtext. It's just because they were like, that makes a boring shot slightly edgier. And that's that's it. This also features at one point a guy, like, literally just tearing a chicken's head off. Uh, this yeah, will sure, fail all of your vegan alerts. Uh, this is not <laughs> a vegan movie. There is abuse of a pork cutlet, as mentioned previously. Um, there, there's a lot going on here.
1: This entire movie is a vegan alert. That's there's, <laughs> there's no way around that.
2: Uh, Myros, would you say it's your favorite movie of
1: all time, or like top five?
3: <laughs> uh, it's right up there.
1: Yeah, that's fair. That's what I figured. All right. Uh, well, I, I think we I think we covered everything in the COVID canon. Um, <laughs> So, <laughs> Maros, it's what are you putting exhaustive. over this week? Uh, <laughs> it's been exhaust. That's all there is. You
3: know, I I, I, I couldn't watch anything because I I watched The Stand, which we didn't even talk about. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, I, I guess The Stand. Um, it's pretty <laughs> shitty, and uh, you know, the first wait, which one—the one, new one was, or the old one? Th- is there multiple versions?
2: They're remaking the new one's not out yet. Yeah. Right? I, oh, it's oh, okay. The There's only one
3: version. It. It's a it's a Mick Garris special. Uh,
2: so it's six hours long and it sucks.
3: Uh, the first hour and a half, uh, which is the most uh, applicable to our, our venture here, uh, it's just kind of like outbreak. It's it's pretty decent. It's it's compelling. It's probably the best work of Mick Garris' awful career. Uh... After that, it kind of devolves into uh, Stephen King trope land with uh, magical Negroes and uh, unfortunate uh, mentally impaired people. And, uh, yeah, then it ends in very stupid fashion involving uh, a melting man and a nuclear warhead or something. I don't know. It all turns to white noise at a certain point. But, uh, yeah, watch (laughs) it. Sure. It'll, It'll pass the time.
1: It's all we got now, all we got is time, baby.
0: <laughs> uh, Sean, what are you putting over this week? Uh, putting over Top Chef. Um, I am a chopped loyalist, and so I've been bearish on uh, different cooking shows, um, especially ones that have like such a large arc to them, but to finally gave one of the seasons of shot and uh, it's a absolutely fantastic program. Uh, Great uh, challenges and drama. You know, it gets what you want out of reality shows, but also cooking much more so. Um, So great program. Talk (laughs) Chef.
1: Jack, what are you putting over this week?
2: I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna put over the film we probably should have talked about rather than Ebola syndrome, uh, which is Ming Liang's The Hole, which is a film that's actually about a, a virus sweeping China. It's it's very eerie watching it in the current time when we're all locked indoors, etc. And it's a film about a pandemic. Although the virus in this case makes people act like cockroaches and crawl around on the floor. It's a very strange detail. But oh. the film itself is kind of about forging human connections it's uh essentially a, a man has a hole uh, there there's a leak in a woman's apartment and there's her apartment is endlessly flooding and a plumber comes to make a fix to it and ends up just making a hole in the ceiling of her apartment and the floor of her upstairs neighbor's apartment and uh it's it's a very slow film as size films tend to be not as slow as barren illusion i have <laughs> just learned <laughs> um but it kind of the their unusual the unusual kind of a relationship they forge. It's a film about uh kind of urban isolation and making human contacts and it's a very beautiful film and it has these wonderful strange uh musical numbers inserted and um, kind of harking back to classic uh Hong Kong pop music. Um so yeah, that's that's a much nicer film than the one about the screaming Ebola rapist.
1: I, I can't believe that for a second impossible all right uh <laughs> this week I'm gonna put over a movie called the child from 1977 and this is actually it's part of the arrow box set American horror project volume 2 and it's it's like a it's one of those weird regional horror movies where like some guy in Nebraska probably shot it for twenty dollars and then it played in six theaters and then was completely forgotten about but briefly resurrected on VHS at some point. And uh, yeah, it's it's really bizarre and it feels strangely ahead of its time. You know, it's, it's from 77, but it, it honestly predates it predates Evil Dead, but it, it feels like proto-Evil Dead in a lot of ways. Um, it's got this crazy camera work where it's the perfect balance of clearly this guy doesn't know what he's doing but it's working really well. Like it's to the films. It helps the film out. It makes it kind of disorienting in a lot of ways. And my favorite part though, is the soundtrack, which much like the camera work is, is all over the place in the best kind of way. And it honestly sounds like someone took a Casio keyboard and just threw it down a full flight of stairs, but it's fucking awesome. Uh, so yeah, if, if you want just kind of a, a fun, quick watch cool little horror movie that you probably haven't seen the child that's that's what I'm putting over this week so that pretty much wraps things up if you are listening right now make sure you uh, follow us at optimism vaccine that's a good place to yell at us about things tell us why we're wrong tell us why uh, Ebola syndrome is actually a beautiful anti-colonialist text and we're completely wrong about everything and why we are kink shaming the man for fucking the pork cutlet. That, that would be a good place to tell us that. <laughs> if you don't want to tell us on Twitter, you can email us at OptimismVaccine at gmail.com. Myros is standing by hitting refresh uh, a thousand times a day, just waiting for those emails to pour in. Uh, if you want to follow me on anything or no, yell at me specifically. When they do come in, he, just deletes them, he, he deletes them. That's what them. He goes, ah, there it is. And then he hits delete.
2: <laughs> Talk to Adam about the stand.
1: Email Adam yeah. about the stand. Yeah, you know. Email Adam about the
3: stand. We gotta have stand solidarity.
1: Dude, I'm, why don't you? Why didn't you, Maros? Why didn't you tell me that we got like three emails about impractical jokers, uh, like press screeners in our <laughs> inbox? Why are we talking about the impractical jokers right now?
3: It's a good question. They probably would have gave us a. Uh, good. Some link to a free video or something. Big, big doing. <laughs>
1: dude that's it's why it's the best thing ever it's like what if what if jackass was a bunch of like fucking trump voting boomers hi i'm sal lasagna today we're gonna go to the grocery store and see how many butts we can touch before somebody kicks us out ha it's a great show come on all right (laughs) anyways uh yeah enough about sal lasagna um Yeah. uh, So at Steve Cuff, that's at Steve C-U-F-F on Twitter, Letterboxd, wherever, if you want to yell at me. Sean, where can people find you? Letterboxd, Sean Glass. Wonderful. Uh, Jack, how about you?
2: I'm at RealJackEason. That's E-A-S-O-N at Twitter.
1: Beautiful. Uh, Yeah. And make sure there's a link in the description of this podcast. Click that link. That will take you to our iTunes page. Please give us a five-star written review it helps us out immensely helps our visibility helps us make more great content for you um you know how how will we ever do uh, a, a Whoopi goldberg podcast if, if we don't have your support that's the question on the minds of every american right now uh other than that, that that's i mean that's pretty much everything jake was supposed to be on this podcast but he's dealing with some very serious family shit right now so uh jake we love you if you're listening uh we're here for you buddy and that pretty much wraps things up